This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. We're here on Saturdays every Saturday. We talk about the disease of addiction and remind you, as strongly as we can, that there's, there are many roads to recovery. Lots of people get sober. This program is dedicated to reminding you of that and giving you the information and answering the questions you may have about this horrible disease. We find ourselves, uh, through the miracle of uh, modern broadcasting and recording, uh, bringing you the 6th annual Retreat Fall Fest, which takes place in the autumn, of course, in Akron at their outpatient facility. In the background, you can hear the band cooking up. we got bunches of people already showing up, probably well over a couple hundred now. And uh, it's our third trip to record the program. We always begin these things with uh, our host and guide and uh, sponsor, our our benefactor, and that is the uh, founder and CEO of uh, Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, our good, good friend, Peter Shore. Hello, Peter. Hello, Steve. How are you today? I'm good. I'm going to have to ask you to speak up because you've got a great band making a lot of noise in the background. I'll talk as loud as I can. So six years um, with Fall Fest... It's such a great time. It's a family affair. How did, where did the idea come from to do this? Well, a few years ago, he said, why don't we give back to the community that gives back to us? So we, we, you know, we have free food, we have music, we have children events, we have vendors. It's just a really great day for people in the community to come out and, and see what the retreat's about. For people who might not know about retreat, how long have you been uh, in the Lancaster area? We celebrated our seventh anniversary on August fifteenth at the main facility. At the that's main the, facility. That's the uh, residential facility up Correct. on up on the hill, about a mile from where we are, at your um, newer outpatient facility, right? Our, our new outpatient facility we opened three years ago. And I was at that opening, and, and the reason I mention that is that in addition to you know the folks from Retreat who who talked about what your mission would be up here. Uh, there were local representatives of the uh, establishment in the, in this community. I, I don't know whether they have a mayor in Akron or a city we council. We do. We have a mayor of Akron. Well, she, uh, there's he, a woman. He. he. Well, they they were there and they spoke glowingly of having this facility here. That sort of flies in the face of what a lot of people think would happen in a community when a, and I use air quotes here, a drug treatment facility is opening. That, that's really good news, isn't it? It, it is. I mean, we, we were lucky in, in, in all the places that we've we've opened facilities. We've been really uh, supported by the local community. They've, they've come out and supported every application that we apply to. There's never been a, you know, not my backyard, please. Which, of course, is the, um, you know, was the prevailing mood for a very long period of time. It, it, I, it, that's an, that's a, um, a result of, and I know the community outreach you guys did. You just didn't show up, build a facility, and then tell people you were here. You, you laid the groundwork way, way yeah, in advance. It, it, it takes work. I mean, you, you really have to ingratiate yourself in a community and, and put people at ease that you're doing something that's going to help them. And the other thing that's changed, and we'll get into this a little deeper ahead, is that uh, enlightened communities who understand what the stakes are regarding the disease of addiction, certainly in the midst of this opioid uh, epidemic, have got to start looking at facilities like this as an asset, something that you should probably go out and try to get come into your community, right? And, And I think our local community has embraced us that way because there's so many people 
everywhere. I mean, it's not just this community, but everywhere in the United States where the disease of addiction is just rampant. The opioid epidemic is is, is at an all-time high, and just too many people are dying. I mean, I, just last year alone, I, I think I told you, seven, over 72,000 people died of overdoses. And that doesn't even take into consideration, you know, the organicity of, of dying from the disease of that's killed their organs or they died in a car accident. It's just... It's well, they are overdoses. They're just straight up overdoses. overdoses. And, and the number one killer from 18 to 25-year-olds is overdose. You know, I think it's the first time I really, I really uh, considered what you just said. You're right. 70,000 deaths directly attributable to an overdose of, uh, of opioids. The number of, of people killed by this disease in a year could be three times that number. Yeah. And, that, and that's people. That's where it's reported that people right. died of overdoses. So just that alone could be double. And, and you're right; it could be triple, yeah. no. four times as many. People you know, and we, uh, you know, the media and use use terms like uh, leading leading cause of death in a certain age group. More more deaths last year from drug overdoses than in the the uh, Vietnam War, which is. In order to get people's attention, this this is uh, this is not a momentary thing. This is ongoing. It, uh, it's still it's still a huge problem, and as Peter said, people are dying at uh, extraordinary rates. It's very, it's very scary for parents because parents and and not just parents, no, but no, uh, most of the population has no idea that this is a disease. It's not something that's a choice. Well, in in and in that in that regard, here's the thing I like to tell people who have been blessedly. Um, you know, not affected by disease in their family. Uh, and I don't mean to be a scaremonger, but I don't think people, particularly people with uh, younger children, understand how vulnerable they are no matter what their background is. Um, yeah, your the, kid can get messed up the on this stuff. Disease of addiction doesn't care how much money you have, what you do for a living, what color you are, what religion you are. It doesn't matter. The, uh, the analogy I like to use is that if this were a disease you could catch from somebody sneezing or coughing, something airborne, the public would be terrified and demanding much bigger government involvement. Now, we're seeing some, the government has finally moved off the dime on this, and, and I think, and I don't know whether you agree or not, uh, they at least are going through the motions of acting like this is not a criminal justice problem, this is a medical problem. You, you, there's more to do there, but do you agree they've made that move? Well, I, it, I mean, it, it still unfortunately is a criminal justice problem as far as the government's concerned. I think it's bringing more in the, in the forefront is understanding that it's a disease, but it's still, I mean, it, it, it ruins people's lives and, and people don't understand that, you know, they're sick and it's a disease, they need help. All right, just, I want to stay on this topic for just a little longer, then I want to talk a little bit more about the, the fun day, because this is a fun day at Fall Fest. Um, you were recently uh, quoted in an article um, by the Associated Press on um, safe injection sites. Tell people what they are first, and, and then what your view is on them. Well, when I, what I was talking about in safe injection sites is that it's, it's a place where people can go and, and, and use safely where they're not going to be arrested or, or you know they're not going to take something that it's coffee something happens to them someone's there to help them but it's also you know if people look at it oh it's just another place you're just giving someone another you're, you're you're enabling them to use drugs and it's not you know we get a chance to help people you know when they come there we can talk to them we can say look here's a better way let's try it this way you know, we, we've seen so many people die of this disease that 
we have to think of ways to save lives. So it's more of harm reduction now than just uh, we're not looking to cure. We're looking to save lives, and that's what our I, job I, is. There's a huge misconception, and the, they they turn it into a political football immediately, and and the moralists jump in and say. No, no, you're you're just making this easier for these people, and and as we said during uh, before we got on the air here, it should be self-evident that the reason you want to reduce harm and keep people alive is they have absolutely no chance to get sober if they're dead. And that's right. I mean, and if you talk to the people who are making these claims, they probably have no one in their family who has been affected to it. They don't know anyone who died from it. They still look at it as it's, it's your fault. You did it. You, you suffer the consequences. Yeah, and you know, like so often in politics, and I think these numbers are dwindling, and maybe I'm being optimistic, but some people think there's some political gain to be to take the hard line, and that was true for a very long time, and I'm sure it still is to a certain extent. But in a broader sense, people are going, yeah, yeah, I, I understand about this. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's hard to do that now because yep. so many people are dying. Yep. So people you know, that you know, friends. Yeah, I don't know anybody who doesn't know someone who's affected by this disease. I mean, think about that for a second, people. I mean, I'm growing up. I grew up in the, the teeth of the recreational drug uh, craze of the '60s and '70s. And, and it was relatively rare uh, for me to know anybody that was doing anything as hard as, as heroin. And now, as you point out, everybody knows somebody. Yeah, it's, 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 you're not more than 15 minutes away from a bag of heroin pretty much anywhere in the United States. It's been a de- last week or the week before, I guess, a devastating uh, profile of the Kensington section of Philadelphia, which the New York Times correctly identified as the largest East Coast open-air drug market. Um, and the city has announced plans to try to eradicate that, but, but they're up against it. They're really. You know, really I, I've been in the Pennsylvania area for over 10 years, and I've heard myself for 10 years how bad Kensington is. Why is it still bad? That's what I don't get. Well, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of silly and complicated political reasons for that. But that's even that's even that's changing. Certainly not fast enough. But anyway, um, that's the uh, that's the dark side of this story. Um, although there's some there's some glimmers of uh, positivity. There's, there's, in there. hope. there's hope. I mean, yep, I don't want is. people to think that you know you only hear the negatives, but there's a lot of positive things that happen. And you know, we're living proof. We have you know many people that have gone through our facilities who have come back to work for us, have moved on to other jobs and leadership roles, who go back to lead productive lives. It's not a death sentence because you're an addict, but it will be a death sentence if you don't do something about it. A great documentary that uh, people may be aware of. It's called, uh, gee, The 20 Million. Um, It's a documentary dedicated to telling the story of the 20 or 30, it could be up to 30 million people now, who manage long-term successful sobriety. So that's an important story to tell. By the way, later in the program today here at Fall Fest, we will, uh, we will have Maggie Hunt, your alumni uh, coordinator, director of alumni services. We'll be bringing some of those success stories up here. We find that really valuable. Uh, in addition to having your, your, uh, your people, your clinicians talk about you know, the actual treatment and what that's like, it's important to have these alumni come on and say, you know, here, here's where I am today yeah. after some horrible stories. All right, so so the band is cranking it in the background. Who is that? Cranking it. That's Quentin Jones. I was hoping it was Joe Walsh. That would get Joe, me off Joe the was hook. busy this weekend. We, you know, he was going to come, but he's tied up with the Eagles somewhere. I'm not sure where. Unf- uh, the Eagle band, not not the football team. Anyway, I wish uh, we were doing this live so I could encourage you to come up here. But now you know about Fall Fest, and they're going to have it every year. And as I said, this is the sixth year. It's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of kids, and there's a, one of those bouncy houses. Yeah. And we got to get, you know, we got to get, get face have, painting. We have uh, a hoops. We have. 
a dog kissing booth. Yes, a dog kissing. So does booth. that mean you bring your dog and they get kissed by another dog? No, no. Or? We have we have some uh, <laughs> emotional support dogs that will uh, kiss you if oh, you like. Service dogs. Service dogs. Well, I saw one dog out here, a kind of poodle that probably it, it needs a poodle, emotional a support. Poodle with a pink, uh, a pink mohawk, and it was a male poodle. That Poor po- dog. That poodle is uh, cutting edge. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Peter Shore, uh, founder and CEO of Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. We uh, thank you for this uh, this festival. We thank you for sponsorship of the program, and um, we look forward to talking to some people uh, here today from from Fall Fest. Thank you very much, Steve. Everybody, stick around. We've got more of Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Hi, welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martirano uh, is my name, uh, host and guide on the program. Every Saturday, we talk about the disease of addiction and the road to recovery. The music in the background, we've hired a band. They now sit in the studio with me. <laughs> no, it's not true. We're at Fall Fest uh, through the miracle of uh, digital recording. Uh, we're uh, recording this live from the event, obviously, and you're hearing it a week later. Um, we're going to get the capability one day to do this thing live so that I can encourage you to come up here. But so if you miss it this year, you should come up. This is their sixth year of Fall Fest. It's a, it's a great family uh, event. Lots of kids running around getting their faces painted. Um, there's, a, there's a roving gypsy who uh, I didn't recognize right away. It's an embarrassing story. But anyway, uh, it's just a lot, of, it's a lot of fun. We've been here three years now uh, recording the show to letting people know about Fall Fest. Uh, we just had Peter Shore on, who's the uh, who's the boss, the CEO, the founder of Retreat, and he we, we were trying to impress upon people that in spite of the bad news that uh, may overwhelm us at times about the disease of addiction, there's loads of good stories of people who've managed to fight their way through this awful, awful disease. And uh, the way we remind you of that is by getting alumni to come up, because the Retreat, in addition to everything else they do to help people fight the disease of addiction, has a robust and growing alumni group. And the director of that, the coordinator of alumni services, frequent contributor to the program, and great buddy of ours, Maggie Hunt is with us. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Steve. Hi, everybody. Maggie's got her brood with her because the last thing she said to me before I uh, corralled her was, excuse me, I've got to go over and scream at my kids for 20 (laughs) 20 minutes. Um, I'm sure your kids are terrific. Anyway, uh, Maggie, you're going to bring some alumni over? Yeah, yeah. I already have them lined up. They're ready to go and excited to talk with you. Uh, it's, I told Peter and I told told the people every time that we have an alumni story on. Um, I, I like to say that all stories of addiction and recovery are the same, except they're different. Uh, and so it's important. In addition to having the clinicians on and writers and uh, people who cover the uh, the story uh, from a uh, either a professional or a, a clinical standpoint, have them on to give people good information. We got to have these alumni stories on so that we can. <laughs> Do you know those two? Are they your daughters? No. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, um, we have these alumni voices on because it's important that people hear uh, stories of, uh, of real tough times. And folks came out the other side okay and they're living sober lives. You're in recovery, right? How I'm, long now? I just celebrated nine years in July. I, Maggie's been on the show so many times that... Uh, I mean, I completely forget about you know who's in recovery and who isn't. But I had the occasion the other day to read your your bio on uh, on the site, um, and, and I basically knew the outlines of it. But I mean, you'll match your story with anybody's, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I can definitely relate to. It. I went to treatment a whole bunch of times, so 
I can relate to different people at their different levels of sobriety as well. Yeah, uh, and you here's here's all you need to know. Uh, Maggie told me she had the occasion the other, uh, a couple weeks ago to show somebody around Kensington, and I, was, I remember going, "What? What do you know about Kensington?" And then she told me she spent a lot of time in Kensington uh, doing some terrible stuff. So nine years sober. Yep, nine years. And um, did you? There must have been points at. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> come, over. Right. No, no, come over here. Come over here. You come here, Luke. Can you go in the air with me? You, oh no, he's one of those. Just like my grandchildren, they talk all the time until you want them to. Anyhow, there must have been times during uh, your your using where you thought, "This is it. I'm I'm always going to be I'm always going to be like this, right?" Oh yeah. Well, and I think too. Um, I got to a point where I don't think that I would have been lucky enough to die because. I would have just continued to relapse, go in and out of treatment, continue to hurt people, and like just just be a disaster, just a menace to society. I don't think I would, because I think that my family almost every day waited for that call that I was going to be dead, and they didn't get it, and that's, that state of unknown is almost worse than actually knowing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, there's a finality to death, obviously. The other thing is just uh, living hell. Um which you've been through. I mean, you didn't die, obviously, but your dad did. Yes. Yep. Is, well, I mean, I, nothing, I think nothing shocked me more than that because you told me about your dad. Your dad was a, a drug user for many, many years. At one point, you were running partners, right? Correct. Yep. And uh, then he decided to get sober. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was probably, um, I would say, early November of 2000. 16 that he reached out and he um, I mean my dad used my entire life but he tried to tell me at different times that he was sober and then he reached out and he was like um, uh, mag you know I'm having a lot of pain because of my teeth uh, and I need to use drugs he was gonna ask me for money and then he was like I think I need to go into treatment and so I got him in the treatment and he did really well and we had him on the air you were so you were so pleased with his progress and your dad was a contemporary of mine so we uh, you know we had a lot in common we both understood how we grew up and how common it was to use drugs recreationally and um, he looked great yeah he yep. looked great he was the picture of health and uh, and then he passed away yeah well and I think also in the meantime he helped a lot of people a lot of people like a lot of people who are here and sober from the alumni community today still talk about him like on Facebook today somebody posted about how they miss him so much and you know we're almost at a year to his death um, but yeah he, I mean he was sober we celebrated Christmas together uh, you know I don't know how long if it was his first time that he used or you know maybe he used a couple times um, but yeah I found him uh, dead downstairs in my basement in your house yeah. yeah it's just it's just heartbreaking but you know what he did for me um, I've heard a lot of bad stories and you know I've interviewed some people that have also passed away but your dad rocked me in a way a different way because he was clear and this was no old head I mean, it was an old head, but this was a guy who just went, you know what, time's running out, I'm going to get this together. And he's on the he's on the right path, he's on the program because he, you know, he's given it a real shot. And then because he used at this particular moment, and that's what was scary about it, you, your dad wasn't looking no. to die. No, 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 because he would never have wanted to, me to find him in my basement or my kids. Of course, of course not. And that only brought into just stark... Uh, focus for me what the stakes are now there are a lot of people out there that can't control their their uh, their habits 
but uh, the stuff that's out on the street now is just slaughtering people. Yeah. So, so it's a terrible reminder. But uh, good for you, we <laughs> love you. Thanks. And who are you going to have for us in a little bit? Well, there's a there's a couple. So um, one, um I gotta figure out which one wants to go first. So well, I don't want to say yet. Well, well, so go enjoy the rest of Fall Fest. Okay, thank you. And uh, and we got to put a guard up because you're so popular with people that keep walking <laughs> up to you while we're trying to interview. Maggie uh, Hunt, thank you. Yes, thank much. you so much. And we have more from Fall Fest here at uh, Retreat from your Addiction Treatment Centers in Akron. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. Steve Martirano here on Recovery Radio. Uh, sounds in the background. Program we recorded on the 14th, uh, it's a week ago, up in Akron at Retreats Outpatient Facility. It is their sixth annual Fall Fest. It's a terrific time. Next year, I promise we'll do this live, so I can urge you to come up and uh, and check this out. Lots of things for uh, lots of people, uh, families, most obviously lots of stuff for kids to do. Fall Fest here at Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. They, by the way, sponsor the program, and I, I say this very, very often. They do it for the best possible reasons. I mean, this is l- much, much less a infomercial than it is an informational tool. Peter Shore, who's the CEO and founder and our guest on earlier in the program, uh, just bought immediately into the concept of, you know, sure, he's going to pay for the time. And is he justifiably proud about the reputation his his treatment facilities have? Yes, he is. Can he help? Uh, has they have they helped a lot of people? Yeah, they sure have. But that's the purpose of the program is not to convince you that retreat is the only place in the world that can help you get sober. It's to convince you that you can get sober if you get help. So when I give you their phone number, it is purely in that spirit. And I hope you never have to use the number. But if the disease of addiction visits you or your family, uh, you're not going to know where to turn for the most part. So I give you the phone number. People at retreat will answer your questions no matter what they are or any comments you might have about this program, feel free to call them. Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, 855-859-8808. And again, I hope you don't have to use the number, but in a very difficult situation, it could uh, it could be very, very important to get good answers. 855-859-8808. We mentioned when we had Maggie Hunt here, who is the uh, Coordinator director, uh, director of uh, Alumni Services, how we value uh, voices in recovery. Maggie provides them to us uh, through her network of alumni. These are folks who have gone through treatment, sometimes more than once, sometimes many more times than once, uh, but who now find themselves in uh, successful sobriety. We tell you their stories so that you can understand that as grim as this disease can be, uh, as deadly as it is, people manage to get sober. One of them is sitting to my left, uh, Benjamin Champion, I, that's one of the great names I've ever heard, uh, joins us uh, on Recovery Radio. Uh, ben, thanks for taking time out to uh, come by. Thank you for having me. Can I get you to lean way into that mic? I can't. Poor Ben, I keep telling him to lean into the mic, and he goes, how close does this fool want me to get to this microphone? you got to get right on top of it. So, uh, Ben, thanks so much for your time. Uh, first of all, let's... Uh, Let's begin with the uh, obvious question. How uh, you are in recovery? I am in recovery. How long are you sober now? I've been sober for about two years and four months now. Two years and four months. Well, congratulations. That's that's great. So tell us about uh, about you, Ben. Where, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? All of that. I'm originally adopted from Tegucigalpa, Honduras. I came over to 
United States at six months old. I grew up in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and then my family moved to Lidditz, Pennsylvania, where I spent most of my high school years. Oh, so you're a local kid. Yep, grew up here, went to school here, did everything around this area. Uh, how old are you? I am 26 now. 26 years old. So, um, how would you describe your uh, your family uh, situation growing up? Brothers and sisters? and um, I grew up in an all-white family and being Hispanic. Um, my family situation was different than most, mm-hmm. um, especially coming from this area back in the early 2000s. It was There weren't a lot of Hondurans? There wasn't a lot of integration yet in uh, this area. All right. So, my brother is uh, from South Korea, so we have a very mixed family. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So... So, uh, how did you begin with uh, experimenting with drugs and alcohol? Did you begin with drinking and marijuana, or how did it start? Uh, marijuana was the beginning of it, probably about 17, 16, 17 years old. Um, probably 19 years old is when I started getting heavily into drinking. A little bit in high school, but no uh, repercussions of my actions at that point. Um, that didn't start until I graduated high school and life changed from there. Well, you started, you know, you relatively speaking, you started experimenting with uh, substances uh, pretty late. I mean, I've spoken to people who started their, had their first drink at uh, 11 or 12 years years of age. Uh, so what ha- I mean, what happened to you? What accelerated your behavior? Because I know you started out the way every young person starts out. My friends are doing it. doesn't look that, that bad. You start out like that. How quickly did it accelerate for you, Ben? I'm for myself. There was a tragedy in eighth grade. Uh, next door neighbor's parents were murdered. And that started me turning against uh, my parents' teachings. You know, I found the world was an evil place. And right about 17, 18 is when I started realizing marijuana could, you know, make me laugh again. And uh, my sisters were older than me. They could get alcohol. And when I found alcohol, I kind of realized I can numb everything um, from my adoption to the tragedies. And that really accelerated everything, that yeah. numbing effect. And you you, um, you look back now and you are confident that, or clear I should say, that it was the trauma of that murder? That... The trauma of the murder, the adoption, I look back uh, when I drive to my father's neighborhood, I go by that house. Um, recently, I stopped and paused and just looked at it. And I have to move past that. Um, uh-huh. But the world was a bad place then for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, 16, 17, 18, you're handling, uh, what, marijuana and alcohol primarily? Or were you experimenting with abusing everything? Primarily it was marijuana. Alcohol was a party thing at the time. Um, if my sisters could get it, I would drink at the house. But at that time, it was mainly marijuana. Well, where were you on this on this on the on the scale of uh, of use? I mean, you were you were surrounded by people similar doing the same things. But how how much harder were you going at that point? Uh, marijuana, not much harder than the people I surround myself with. In school, you have the groups of potheads. Right. Uh, I slowly integrated into that section. Um, but my older sister kind of kept me in check throughout high school. I didn't want to embarrass her or get, you know, the bad rep. And right, right. Her tell my parents. Uh, a lot of my drinking really didn't go into full-blown effect until after high school, until I was on my own. So for you, it was alcohol that really started the spiral down? Alcohol was uh, my vice. It was the only thing that really I attached to. Uh, marijuana shortly dropped off for me after I turned 21. 
uh, and found that I don't need to be smoking it. You know, I can be doing something legal, you know, instead of something illegal. How about the irony of that? It's crazy. But right? Now I look back at it. Right. Now right. that's becoming more legal now than alcohol. People are looking at it differently. Your substance of choice for abuse was readily available, socially acceptable, and cheap. Yep. You know, we just went through that Supreme Court hearing where there was a lot of talk about alcohol use among young people. And I kept hearing this notion of blackout drinking being so misunderstood by everybody. I mean, uh, most people think when you talk about being a blackout drinker that you literally fall down unconscious. It's not like that at all. It just means you can't remember your behavior. Were you a blackout drinker? I was. Uh, funny enough, my father and I had a conversation about uh, that hearing last night and about the how drinking was brought into it and how myself as a man in AA kind of saw um, the changes in the man who, when he was questioned about his drinking, he got defensive. I remember as a child when I got challenged about my drinking, I became very defensive. And I could see the similarities, and it was very odd looking at it uh, in real time and looking at my girlfriend saying, wow, like I understand what he's going through. Right, right. It, it was very odd. So uh, so when did it, when did you go, okay, this is a problem? Did you get in trouble with the law? What was the, what was the impetus to get you into your... Uh, into your first treatment facility? Um, there was a lot of factors. Uh, I had a DUI, a very bad DUI, in 2012, right on Christmas Day. Um, that didn't stop me. That was just consequences of my actions, but everyone gets a DUI. Uh, really, for me, that got me to the point of coming into treatment was I was just done with the life. Uh, I spoke to my best friend one day and just said, I need to get into treatment. And he said that was odd for me. Uh, we've been drinking all day, and around 12 o'clock that night, I just said, I, I can't do this. I broke down, and I didn't want to live that life anymore. I was done with it. How old were you at that point? I was 24 years old. And um, how many times were you in uh, treatment? I went. I never knew what treatment was, actually. Um, went to the hospital, and a lady walked in the next morning and said, what do you want to do? I said, uh, you know, I heard of these things called rehab. What do you do with them? What you know, how's that work? Uh, she told me about a place in Africa, PA. And like I said earlier, that's pretty much home to me. Uh, she told me the location. I said, sure, let's go to you know retreat. But that's the first and only time I've been to treatment. So you were you were one and done. Uh, yeah, ah, I pray to keep it that way. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, that's a great story. I mean, we, we, you know, we've talked to people who were in it, in and out. Uh, so you had a very high degree of uh, motivation. You wanted to get sober, right? I wanted to stop living the way I was living. Right. Uh, a lot of it was just growing up. Uh, something I tell people all the time is, at the end of the day, this is about growing up and changing the way you live. Um, the drugs and alcohol are a symptom of that stuff. Uh, if you change your mentality, this stuff can come you know, pretty easily if you really want to do this. You really believe that? Well, if you really want to do it. For myself, I went into retreat. Uh, my mom and my father said, you're going to have to pay the deductible and uh, anything that comes out of this. So for me, that meant I'm going to do this one time and not do it again. And uh, if I was going to make that big of a change in my life and admit that I was a real alcoholic, then I had to admit that I was going to do everything I had to do to make sure that I was do this. Yeah, otherwise, why, otherwise why, why didn't you start down the path? Did you have a difficulty at the beginning saying, I am an alcoholic? I remember the first time I sat down with my sponsor and he said, I'm not sure if you're a real alcoholic. He said, let's go through the big book. 
uh, by the end of it, everything fell into place, and I realized, you know, my actions are that of an alcoholic, and at the end of the day, just looking back, it's pretty obvious I had a problem with drinking, and now, two and a half years later, almost, without a drink, and my life is where it's at. And that, and that is, you know, you're working, uh, you're in Florida now? Yep, I work for uh, Retreat in uh, Palm Beach down in Florida. How did that come about? Did you want to stay in, in the uh, in the field after you went to Retreat? Um, retreat sent me down there for IOP. I graduated, had a great experience with them, and I wanted to get back to Retreat to change my life. Um, and it was very difficult. You know, I called my therapist at the time, just said, hey, I want to come back and work. <clears throat> she told me what to do, and here I am, about a year and a half later. Oh, that's great. Uh, ben Champion, what, what an appropriate name for a story like that. Um, reminding people again that you can get out from under this thing if you really want it bad enough. Ben, thanks so much for your time. Uh, thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, we have more from Fall Fest here on Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We are uh, uh, finishing up our visit to Fall Fest. Sixth Annual Family Gathering of Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. We are here on Sunday the 14th, and we're going to air this, as you're hearing now, on, on Saturday the 20th, just to let people know that this goes on every year. Next year, I'm really going to do my best to do this live, so we can be here when it's actually happening. But they six years, it's a, it's a community and family gathering. It's great fun. It's intended to remind people of the work that's done at Retreat not only here in the Lancaster area, but in their Florida facilities, and to remind people that in spite of the grim news about the disease of addiction, lots and lots of people get sober. We've heard from a couple of the alumni already uh, from retreat today, and we have uh, yet one more uh, voice in recovery and a really interesting uh, angle on, on, on the uh, idea of getting treatment. Uh, Gina joins us here at uh, Fall Fest and on Recovery Radio. Hi, Gina. Nice to meet you. Uh, thanks for coming by. It's nice meeting you. Thank you for having me. Now, I'm going to start uh, sort of at the, I usually would do this at the end of an interview. I, I get somebody's story about their substance abuse issues and all that first, and then we talk about treatment. But we're going to begin the other way around. How many times have you been in treatment? Yeah, you, absolutely. I've been to retreat um, 14 times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how, over how long a period of time? Um, in the past three years. 14 trips in and out of treatment. What, what, what basically was your, was your substance of abuse? Um, I'm, my substance is alcohol. I'm an alcoholic. Uh-huh. People hear about folks that go in and out of rehab. And by the way, I mean, 14 certainly a, a big number, but it's not the biggest number uh, I've heard. Uh, what keeps you going, going back to treatment? Okay, well, what keeps me going back to treatment is that I never follow a plan when I leave treatment, um, I usually, I will go somewhere and I will only stay for like five days or so. And I just, I want to go home because I miss my children. Right. And um, this time, my last time at retreat, this past time, I um, actually, I am following direction um, from all the therapists and people there. And I'm actually staying in a recovery house this time right here in Akron, um, PA. And I am um, following my aftercare plan. I'm, you know, I have a sponsor now, mm-hmm. and which I never had before. 
I'm going to meetings every day, and I'm just, I'm doing everything they're telling me to do this time. As opposed to the other times when, what, you were going through the motions? Or? Just going, yes, through the motions, and like I said, I would miss my children. I would just go home, and I'd usually pick it pick up within 24 hours, two days. You know, uh, first of all, when did your uh, drinking start to become a problem for you? Um, How old were you? 39. Oh, so you... So you had you had a, a substance abuse. You didn't have a substance abuse problem as a youngster. You had it as a full-grown adult. Correct. Would, would you looking 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 on that? It was there a precipitating event? Was there something that caused uh, you to start drinking uh, heavily? <laughs> that you want to share with? Us? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I could really say it would just be um, stress. Life. <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah. How quickly um, were you aware that you had um, a problem? Well, I knew it was a problem, you know, when I couldn't, you know, put the bottle down and... Did that start immediately for you? Um, it just, it gradually, you know, I gradually got to that point, you know, when I was 39 years old. And, you know, then I knew it was a problem because I would start, you know, drinking in the morning, um, you know, drinking in the afternoon. And then I would just not be worth anything, you know, at night and... Well, yeah. You were uh, you had children at this time at this point. Correct. Yes. And were you were, uh, were you you were drinking alone? Were you? Yes, I was. How how good were you at the beginning of hiding this behavior? Um, I was very good at it. I mean, I would um, fill water bottles up with you know my drink of choice, and I would hide it all over the house. Um, you know, and for me, you know, for me to feel like I'm, you know, drunk, I would you know I would drink it fast. So. You know, because I was hiding it from everybody. Right. And when did they become aware that you, mom um, had a problem? I'd say when I was forty. Yeah. So yes. a year, so a year really doing it. Yes, I was. And then it'd be, and that's the, and that's the first time you get in you get into treatment. You know, uh, I've talked to a lot of people who don't understand um, this disease. They they view it as a choice rather than something that's no one has any control over. And they hear about people going in and out of retreat multiple uh, in and out of treatment multiple times and they just go you know this is this is ridiculous and i say to them well it ain't easy that's for sure but they keep going back you kept going back i did um i mean i was very embarrassed to go back a lot of times um but i've came to realize you know retreat has always helped me out no one's ever looked at me like oh my god there she is again look at her you know I've never been treated that way. Um, I was always welcomed. Um, everybody has tried to help me. Um, you know, we tr we've tried different, um, you know, different attempts and, you know, different ways to do some things. Um, but, like, I don't know, I just, I really feel different this time because for me anymore, drinking, it was just, you know, it was just getting to be a chore. It was just a chore and, you know, I just do not feel well anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just really not worth it. And I don't know, I mean... I really feel different this time, and, you know, I just, I hope this is the time that I stay sober for yeah. good. Well, so. you know, it's interesting to hear you say that, because every, we've heard, heard from lots of people, and what, what, again, what people on the outside of this disease don't really appreciate is that when you say it wasn't working for you any, any longer, there, there was a period of time when you thought it was working. The stress of life, the alcohol made that seem to go away, and that worked for a certain amount of time. And then it doesn't work anymore. No, it doesn't. I mean, and each time, you know, I left retreat, it, it got worse. You know, I would, you know, go to harder stuff, you know, to make me, um, 
you know, feel the effect faster and stuff. Well, Gina, thank, thanks um, for sharing that with us, as you know, because you've been in treatment a lot. It's good to get these stories out and, say, and, and admit your truth about them. We wish you a lot of luck this time. Thank you. And uh, don't come back. I will. And I, I just want to say one thing to people out there, too. You know, my, my daughter is 16, my son's 14, and um, my daughter... Um, she goes to Alateen. I don't know if, you know, everyone knows what that is, but that is like Al-Anon for teenagers. Um, my son doesn't go because he doesn't like it. Um, and they say you can't force them to go, but my daughter really enjoys going, and um, she really gets a lot out of it. Well, it's a great and, point because you, you, you realize that you, this disease affects the entire family. So correct. That's, that's a great tip for people. Thanks yes. again so much, Gina. We appreciate it. All right. And we thank all you for listening. And, uh, uh, again, Fall Fest is a lot of fun. Next year, we'll uh, we'll probably try to do this live to get you to come up here. We want to thank everybody that helped put it, put this thing together, this uh, recorded remote, and um, look for us next Saturday on Recovery Radio. Take care. Bye bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.